0: Welcome to Gaining Through Training. I'm your host, Terry Register. Today, we'll be hearing from my friend, Steve Earle on Power Prospecting. Take it away, Steve. I'm Steve Earl, the creator of this series. You know, I've been very fortunate in the insurance industry, having started out as an agent canvassing small businesses door-to-door, sitting across the kitchen table at 9 o'clock at night, to running one of the nation's largest insurance marketing companies. My fortune's not just financial, but the knowledge I've gained by working against and alongside of some of the country's best insurance agents and marketing minds. Throughout my career, I've learned a few simple things. You don't have to be born a great salesperson to be successful. Success is usually by design and not by accident. And no matter what you do, always be prospecting. This volume is Power Prospecting, which focuses on one of the most important parts of the selling cycle, prospecting. I've had the opportunity to learn from some of the most talented agents in the country and pick their brains on some of the techniques they use in prospecting. It's these discoveries learn from industry-leading agents that I want to share with you. In this CD, I'll talk about the large opportunity for increasing your sales through better prospecting techniques. We'll explore some new ideas that will help you keep a running list of new prospects. I'll also share with you some amazingly simple, yet powerful prospecting techniques that are guaranteed to put you in front of more clients. I'm not going to talk to you about what you should be doing, or theoretical lessons on why you should prospect, Instead, I'm going to give you the tools you need and the systems you can immediately implement on your next appointment. I'll also share with you a few low-cost prospecting systems that are currently being used by some of the country's most successful insurance agents. It's funny, most agents have a very narrow view on prospecting, usually a viewpoint derived from their own experience. Prospecting to them might be a lead generation system, a telephone calling script, a door-to-door canvassing approach, or some other way to get in front of clients. All of these approaches are a form of prospecting, or better yet, an example of a prospecting tool. Most agents have only ever been exposed to one or two prospecting tools and have relied heavily on the lead sources generated from just those tools. Therein lies the problem for most agents. Prospecting is more than one or two tools, but a whole workshop of tools and techniques that can be applied in building a successful and never-ending list of potential clients. You know, there's an old adage that you've probably heard. More agents fail because of the people they fail to see rather than the people they fail to sell. I think this statement is more true than not. Think of it this way. An agent with a 100% closing ratio is only as successful as the total number of prospects that he or she is able to present to. On the other hand, an agent with a poor closing ratio, let's say 33%, may be much more successful if he has enough people to see. Another huge advantage of good prospecting is the fact it means a substantial and steady income. Any agent can predict their future income by the number of prospects they see today. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that prospecting is a large part of your selling process and a part that can never be dismissed. If you fail a prospect today, you probably won't fill it next week or maybe even next month, but you'll be guaranteed to fill it when your current pending business makes its way through the cycle. The key is to never get caught by surprise. This means not letting all of your attention focus on current business and forgetting about prospecting for future business. Now, I know this is much easier said than done, and many of us, including some of the best salespeople, have fallen victim to letting our prospecting flow. It's always much easier to focus on the new business already in-house, and it takes a constant effort to continually push for new business. The key to remind yourself is that you're in the prospecting business. What you're selling is nothing more than a follow-up service to your prospecting. If you're not prospecting, then you're just not working. Now, I know that's an extreme way of looking at it, but you know, the truth is always evident by the number of new sales you're making. Just remember, always be prospecting. So now we can all agree that prospecting is important and essential, but the word prospecting has so many meanings Let's break it down a little bit. What exactly is prospecting? And more importantly, if prospecting is your client building workshop, what are the tools inside that workshop? First, it makes sense to know what is our landscape. Think of it like building a house of clients. Where you choose to build your house and what kind of house you build will depend largely on the environment and landscape around the house. Knowing the landscape and environment will help you choose the right tools from your workshop. There are two landscapes in which you can build your house of clients, your natural market and a developed market. The most obvious way to determine your landscape is to look at your age and social world, or everything that makes up your natural market. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has a natural market, which includes coworkers, friends, next-door neighbors, parents' friends, relatives, and any other person that you can readily put on a social list. This is probably the most important part of your immediate prospecting landscape, because it can easily define what tools you should use. A good example of where this is important is the young agent that says, Gosh, I want to specialize in large case selling in the wealthy segment of the population. Now that may be possible if that agent has a social network of wealthy friends, family, and acquaintances, but it's highly unlikely that an agent without that immediate social network of wealthy people is gonna do much selling in the affluent market. This is a common mistake that is made with a lot of agents. It's easy to buy into a selling system or prospecting program when you look at the success that another agent is having in that system. But what many agents fail to see or ask themselves is whether or not they have a natural market for that selling system or cost-effective access to that market. Always look at your natural market and build your prospecting around it. Don't worry, no agent is ever only tied to their natural market. Everyone has the opportunity to grow into more advanced or higher premium markets. But the key is to start where you have the most abundance of prospecting resources. Your natural market can easily expand from the people you have direct ties to to the people you are indirectly tied to, such as businesses that you deal with, including the auto repair shop the dry cleaners, the barbershop, the hair salon, your accountant, your landlord, your plumber, your mailman, and anyone else from whom you buy goods or service. Are you starting to see something interesting about your natural market? What you're probably seeing is called access. Access is the key to any successful selling plan. Remind yourself, access is the key to my success. Access is nothing more than your ability to get in front of a prospect in a meaningful way. Lead systems, seminar selling, and all the other prospecting tools are nothing more than a device to give you access to a prospect. Unfortunately, all the best tools come with a price of either time or money. Either you're willing to spend your money on a mail lead system, sales seminar, or other system, or you're willing to spend your time cold calling or canvassing for prospects. Either way, it's always gonna be either time or money. This is why your natural market is so valuable. Your natural market gives you immediate access to prospective clients without spending time or money. There's also clearly a large and valuable world outside of your natural market. But in order to reach prospective clients outside of your natural market, you've gotta first develop a market. These developed markets include businesses, clubs and affiliations, Associations, professionals such as attorneys, pilots, doctors, accountants, painters, plumbers, and the list goes on and on. Think of a developed market as a landscape of potential prospects made up of any group or organization that has commonality. Now, the reason you want to search specific groups is it gives you a better understanding of the needs and behaviors of the people that make up that group. For example, If you understand that there's a common need for a specific type of insurance plan among independent plumbers, let's say, then developing a prospecting plan and targeting plumbers is much easier. Just remember, most groups or organizations not only share in its membership, but its members typically share in the same lifestyles and socioeconomic status. Understanding the specifics of a group will allow you to better understand the prospecting tools you need to approach the individual members of that group. It also gives you a great advantage over any other salesperson that doesn't understand the specific needs of the members of that group. For example, let's suppose that you learned that many young firefighters were unable to get the proper life insurance needed. If you could find a specific insurance company that would underwrite firefighters favorably, then you would have a distinct advantage when talking to firefighters. You could even go as far as trying to get an endorsement from your local firefighter union and be the life insurance agent of choice in that union. Now imagine the prospecting opportunities you've just developed every time you walk into a fire station. You would not only understand the firefighter's needs, but you would have the products and the endorsement from the union to sell those products. Even more importantly is the fact that the firefighter you're selling the insurance to Will undoubtedly be more trusting of your services than a random agent that doesn't have any affiliation or experience with other firefighters, even if that other agent has the same products as you. That firefighter is going to take great comfort in knowing that you specialize among firefighters. The fact is, people will always prefer to do business with someone they feel they have a common connection with. In this circumstance, the agent's specialization in firefighters and the union endorsement is the commonality. It would be easy to see how an agent could create a wealth of prospects in that environment. You know, this scenario happens all the time and there are many, many agents that develop markets just like this. The firefighter example is actually a true one that I came across with an agent a few years back. But this example can come across many lines including specializing among doctors, attorneys, plumbers, mechanics. If they're a specific group, you can find a specialty niche within that group. The key is understanding the market and how to specialize in that market. Some markets can be developed through the use of professional partnering. This can be one of the most fruitful ways to prospect for clients. Professional partnering is simply partnering with another professional service that has clients in need of your services. Some great examples of this would be accountants, mortgage brokers, real estate agents, attorneys, even property and casualty agents. The goal is to share clients, thereby enhancing the value of both your services and the income that each of you can make. Let's look at how this would work for an accountant. You know, accountants have the advantage of knowing what the client earns and how they spend it. The accountant is also in a position to understand how the client could utilize an insurance agent's services for setting up an IRA, tax-deferred savings through life insurance, or even protecting them from estate tax problems. What the accountant can't do, probably doesn't want to do, is learn the life products, get licensed to sell the life insurance products, and then go ahead and sell them to their clients. This creates a perfect opportunity for you to contact the accountant, describe your services to them and describe how your services will enhance the value they bring to their clients. Don't forget, there's no free lunch and it would be wise for you to work out a compensation arrangement that rewards that accountant for each sell you make with their clients. Now let's look at a not so obvious scenario involving a property and casualty agency. Most P&C agencies can sell life insurance products, but few actually make life insurance a primary focus. In fact, there are thousands of small PNC agencies throughout the United States that have a tremendous block of homeowners and auto policies on the books, and they're just simply living off the services of those enforced clients. Many PNC agencies are more focused on servicing their existing PNC products, rarely understanding the opportunities for new sales that exist within their book of business. This is a great partnering opportunity. I've seen many successful agents partner with local PNC agencies and proactively call and work the book of business. A commission split is usually arranged, and there's usually an agreement that the client's business is still owned by the PNC agency. The agent gets a reduced commission in exchange for a potentially huge list of prospective clients. The PNC agency gets a great alternative income source. Enhances their value proposition to the existing clients and better solidifies the relationship with their clients. This can truly be a win win partnership for both the agent and the property and casualty agency. Here's an idea for you start calling your local property and casualty agencies and offer your services as a life insurance specialist. Just remember, many PNC agencies sell life insurance through their PNC companies but few actually have a specialist on hand that their primary role is to sell life insurance. Go in with an open mind and have an open conversation with the owner of that PNC agency that you're there to provide that specialty for them. Now we know that there are two types of landscapes for prospecting, those markets that are natural and those markets that are developed. Now we know that there are a lot of tools in our workshop that we can use for building clients, But rather than starting off at how you use the wide variety of tools, I want to start by covering when we should pull our different tools out. There's really only two scenarios in which we have a prospecting opportunity, regardless of landscape. The first are the opportunities that come to us by chance, and the second are the opportunities which come to us by design. Now what that really means is did you create that prospecting opportunity such as a direct mail campaign, telemarketing campaign, customer survey? Or maybe it's a door-to-door canvassing approach. Or did you happen upon the opportunity by chance, like an unexpected client referral, conversation with a stranger at a party, or any other situation that places you at an opportune moment to start prospecting? Interestingly enough, although by chance opportunities don't happen often, and certainly shouldn't be the focus of your prospecting, those chance opportunities can turn into great prospecting situations. To start, let's focus on the opportunities by design, or those prospecting opportunities that you create. I'm not going to talk about lead systems or mailers or even seminar selling systems. Those are all good prospecting tools, but I want to key in on the prospecting tools that often go unused. These are the fundamental prospecting tools in which the only cost to you is time. We've already discussed the partnering approach, where you seek out a partnership with another professional such as an accountant or a PNC agency. Now what I want to do is go a little deeper into that approach and how you should present yourself to that professional. Before you start approaching any professional, you should have a game plan already prepared. The worst thing you can do is offer a partnership to another professional but appear unsure of how it would work or what the parameters of the partnership should be. You want to look like you've done this before and your system has yielded success for both parties. Write your plan down on paper and put yourself in the other person's shoes. If you were approached, is this something you would agree on? Remember, money's a big motivator, but it's not the only motivator. No one wants to put their clients at risk with an unknown person, product, or scheme. Always keep it simple, and if your product or pitch is too complicated, it'll more often than not scare that other person away. Start off by outlining the needs of that professional. For example, if it's an attorney you want to partner with, then identify the needs of that attorney's clients. It may be the need to securitize a loan with life insurance, pay state taxes, fund a buy-sell agreement, or place a product for a life insurance trust. Make a list of all the areas that your life insurance products and knowledge will be an asset for that attorney. List all the areas in which offering your services to the attorney's customers will lead to more work for the attorney, such as creating the trust documents for a life insurance trust or drafting the buy-sell agreement for the business. Where there's a sale for you, there's probably good work for the attorney. This creates a great relationship in which both you and the attorney benefit from your services. On your sheet, list your qualifications for this partnership and the relevant experience you have. This could be as simple as past clients that you've worked with or designations you hold such as a CLU, CHFC, CFP, or any other relevant training. Next on your sheet, make a plan of action. The plan of action is the outline of events you'll do in order to create more business for the attorney and yourself. This would include calling the clients, co-op mail campaigns, or even writing articles in a newsletter that's sent from the attorney to the client. Whatever the steps are, you've got to show that you've got a game plan to create activity with that partnership. Remember, the more specific you are in your game plan, the more it looks like you've successfully partnered with other attorneys in the past. This means getting into detail on what telephone script you'll use, even what time of day you'll make the calls. It can also be what type of articles you'll write in the newsletter or what specific selling strategies you'll talk to the clients about. It goes without saying that everyone will do business with someone who's proven themselves. Another huge advantage of being detailed is it allows you to have a better agreement with the attorney or other professional on what you expect out of the relationship and what they should expect out of you. Last, but certainly not least, you should outline how the partnership will financially benefit the attorney and yourself. This could be a split of commissions on each sale, or the creation of more billing hours in the case of an attorney. Once you have everything outlined, review it, memorize it, and get it printed so you can present it in a professional manner to your prospective partner. I want to spend a little time talking about one of the oldest and cost-effective tools for prospecting, canvassing small businesses. Before the telephone, before the fax machine, before the internet, even before the postal service, there was canvassing small businesses door to door. Think about it. What better way to introduce yourself and your products to a group of potential customers? There's no postage expense, no telephone expense, and the results are immediate. It really is as easy as walking in the door and saying hello. At least it's supposed to be, but many agents either have a bad experience or a fear of canvassing small businesses. Let me try to dispel that fear. And for those of you who've done it unsuccessfully, let me shed some light as to why it may not have gone as well as you'd wanted. The very first thing to consider when canvassing a small business is the question why. Why are you canvassing? This is probably the reason that most agents are disappointed with their initial results. The why is simple. It's simply to introduce you to prospective customers. It's not to make sales. Now I know that sounds crazy at first, But think of it this way. You're there to meet people in order to gain access. The selling will come later. The meeting needs to take place first. Do you send out letters or mailers or conduct seminars to make immediate sales? Probably not. Those are all simply tools to get you in front of more prospective customers. Canvassing is no different. Canvassing is done for the exact same reasons. It's simply to get you in front of more prospective customers. Rarely will you make a sale while canvassing, but what you'll always make is a contact, even a prospective customer. Now that we understand the why, let's start with the how. First, you need to decide what area you want to canvas. I've always found it best to pick industrial parks with businesses in close proximity or small office complexes. Let's face it, no one wants to walk a mile between businesses, and I've done it. You certainly don't want to be on a cold day or a hot summer's day, be sweating, irritated, and annoyed when you walk into the business. So try to pick businesses in close proximity to one another. Try not to canvas huge multinational companies or chain stores. Although they may not all be a waste, they're typically harder to get to the decision maker. The most fruitful prospects are usually small, locally owned businesses like your deli, dry cleaners, printer automotive paint shop, beauty salon, and the list goes on. These are easy to access, and typically the owner is also the operator. Next, you've got to know what to wear to where you never look like a salesman. Always dress casual, yet professional. This can be a pair of khakis and a button-down shirt. Remember, most small business owners don't wear a suit, and if you walk into a store or their place of business dressed in a suit and carrying a briefcase, you're gonna look like a salesman and you're probably going to stick out like a sore thumb. Imagine if you're running your business, and you're busy, and you see someone walk into your place of business dressed in a suit carrying a briefcase. You're immediately going to think to yourself, geez, this guy's going to try to sell me something. Your immediate reaction is going to be to say, I don't need anything, I'm not interested, even before that salesperson has a chance to speak. This is the absolute worst way to create that approach. Instead, you want to look casual yet professional. You will be more apt to get their attention. For all they know, you might be a customer of theirs. An important note, never, and I mean never, carry a briefcase or any kind of portfolio. It's not needed, not at least for the initial canvassing. Never, and I can't stress this enough, never ever make the mistake of actually taking a rate card, application, or any kind of brochure with you while you're canvassing. You know, you can see this quite often with a lot of amateurs that are put on the street canvassing, trying to sell fax machines, copiers, or office supplies. This is an immediate giveaway, and it almost always leads to a cold reception. Instead, take a notepad or a spiral notebook and a few business cards in your pocket. Remember, you're not there to make a sale. You're just there to make a contact. The sale will come later. Be patient. The system does work. The key to remember is that you want to walk into each small business and casually introduce yourself to the person that greets you. Don't ever blow off the person that greets you. This is a huge mistake that rookies always make. Just because the person that greets you is not the owner or the decision maker doesn't mean that they're any less important. In fact, at this point, they're probably the most important person to you in that business. This is the person that decides whether or not you're going to get to talk to the owner or the decision maker. If this person thinks that you're belittling them or blowing them off, then they can very easily tell you that the owner is busy or unavailable. This is a huge mistake and is probably the reason why most agents fail at prospecting small businesses. Instead, introduce yourself to the person that greets you and tell them that you're in the area visiting a local client and you wanted to stop by and introduce yourself since they fall in your territory. Let them know that this is just a courtesy visit and tell them briefly about your services. Make it very brief. This is not the time to get in a long-winded dialogue about all the products and services that you can offer. You just want to give a short overview of what you do. For example, Hi there, I'm Steve Earle with Earle Insurance Services and we specialize in life insurance and retirement plans for businesses and their employees. Keep it simple, keep it sweet. At this point, ask the person what kind of business it is. Or, if it's evident, like an automotive shop, ask him how big of a company and is this the only location. This will give you an indication of the size of the company. Next, let them know that you don't have any time since you were just dropping by to introduce yourself. That'll put them at ease and it'll show them that you're not there to sell or pressure them into anything. Tell them that you would love to call them back or visit them at a later date. Ask if the owner is local and if that's who handles their benefits. After you get all the data, write it down on your notepad and ask them for a business card. Be sure to write down the name of the person you spoke to and keep the business card so you can later attach it to your sheet. Once you leave, you'll realize you've just created a lead and gain better access to that business. Congratulations! You now know who owns the business, how many employees there are, who the reception person is, and maybe who handles their benefits. Maybe much, much more. You will be amazed at the amount of information you'll get if you strike up a good conversation. Now when you get a chance to call them back, you'll be able to ask for the owner and you'll be able to use your conversation with that receptionist as the starting point. Remember, Canvassing is not about making sales immediately. It's about planting the seed for future sales. Here's a tip that many salespeople never think about. Mark the date of your first visit to that business and physically follow up every couple of months to that same business as you make your canvassing rounds. Here's another point to remember. You always wanna make sure that as you're canvassing businesses, you pick industrial parks in which you can visit multiple businesses at the same interval. The beauty of that system is every couple of months, you can spend an hour re-canvassing the same industrial parks, re-establishing contact, and making yourself a more familiar face to the people in each business. People are always more likely to do business with people they know, and it gives you the added benefit of being in front of them when the timing is right. Here's a hint you probably know, but it's an important one to reinforce. Always reference people by their names. You should have been writing down the names of the people you've been speaking to. People are always more likely to remember you if you remember them. Never forget, successful canvassing requires multiple visits to the same business. Don't get discouraged just because the business doesn't need or is not interested in your services right away. Timing is everything. After a few visits, you'll undoubtedly pick up business from either the business owner or the employees. Referrals, referrals, referrals. In fact, this word is so important, I'm going to say it three more times. Referrals, referrals, referrals. It's amazing how many agents have a large book of clients, yet always struggle to create their next appointment. Most agents focus all of their prospecting efforts outside of their existing client pool, failing to realize the magnitude of their loss. Imagine an agent that sells 50 new clients a year. Now what would happen if just half of those 50 were to refer that agent to two prospects? Even if that agent only sold half of those prospects, he would increase his sales by 50%. There is no question that referrals are a surefire way to increase sales and probably the most cost effective way to prospect. Yet somehow, most agents never ask for referrals. I don't think it's the fear of asking that keeps agents from getting referrals. I think it's not knowing a good system for getting referrals that plagues most agents. Rather than talking about how important a referral is, I wanna share three proven systems for getting referrals. If you use these systems consistently, you'll always turn one sale into multiple prospecting opportunities. Let's talk about the first system, or what I like to call the Emergency Contact List Referral System. This is so easy it's a wonder why every agent doesn't use it. First, I want you to create a sheet of paper and call it Emergency Contact List. Make a place where you can write the client's name and three emergency contacts with their names, city, state, and telephone numbers. I want you to actually create and print a sheet from your computer. This not only looks more professional, but it looks more official. On your next appointment, After completing the application, I want you to take out your emergency contact sheet and ask the client to complete it with three names. Let the client know that this is a service you provide in order to assure that if something happens the emergency contacts will know to contact you. This way you can get the benefits paid out as quickly as possible. Don't be hesitant, the emergency contact list is something that is very commonly used whether it's for school, gym, or other social club, and odds are your client will have no trouble coming up with three emergency contacts that they can give you. Once you have the list of emergency contacts and you've delivered a policy, simply call the emergency contacts and let them know that you helped your client with their insurance needs and that you were verifying the telephone numbers they had put on the emergency contact list. This creates a great opportunity for you to ask them about their insurance needs. More importantly, they now know that you're the trusted insurance agent of someone they know. The next natural referral lead source is the Beneficiaries List on a Policy. It's amazing how overlooked the Beneficiaries List is. If your clients are listing adult beneficiaries or grandchildren, it's the perfect opportunity to gather more information about the beneficiaries or the parents' names and telephone numbers of the grandchildren listed on the policy. First, you need to ask your client if the beneficiaries know that this policy is going to be in force. If the client says that the beneficiaries know the policies will be in force, then gather the contact information of the beneficiaries. Or, if it's grandchildren, gather the parents' information of those grandchildren. Later, you can call the beneficiaries to confirm their contact information and let them know that you're helping your client with their insurance needs. This is a great opportunity for you to ask them if they have a need for insurance and that you would like to speak to them about that need. This approach works particularly well when the beneficiaries are grandchildren and you're now speaking to the parents of the grandchildren. Clearly, there's an insurance need for those parents. This is a wonderful prospecting opportunity and an opportunity that you should take every time you take an application. Here's another creative referral technique that I learned from one of the industry's best agents. Before each policy delivery, go to the yellow pages online and do an address search for the homes next door to your client. Take down and memorize the names of two neighbors. When you're on your delivery appointment, ask your client if they know the Browns and if you think they may be in need of your services. A quick note, always reference the neighbor by their names. This will give the impression to your client that you may casually know the neighbor or are at least familiar with that neighbor. Typically, your client will know their neighbors and they'll give you some insight about them. They'll usually tell you that they don't know if they need your services, but that you should go ahead and ask. You've now picked up a referral or at least great access to those neighbors. Now all you have to do is call the neighbor and introduce yourself as the agent that helped your client with their insurance needs. You can also tell them that their name came up in the conversation and that you wanted to offer your services to them. This is a wonderful proactive approach to getting a client referral. Now let's talk a little bit about the prospecting opportunities that are created by chance. Now what I mean by chance opportunities are those situations that you happen to find yourself in that make for an opportune time to prospect. This can be as simple as a conversation about insurance that arises at a dinner party or a barbecue, or it can be someone that asks you what you do for a living. These are the opportunities that happen from time to time, but must be recognized and dealt with using the appropriate prospecting tools. The very first thing every agent should have is an answer to the what do you do question. This is the question that is asked the most often And it's surprising how uninspiring the answers usually are. Let me illustrate this point. Let's say that you're at a barbecue and a stranger asks you, what do you do for a living? Well, I sell insurance. Or maybe the response is, I sell financial products. Or even the more elusive, I'm a financial planner. Those are all answers, but none of them inspire further conversation and certainly don't add value to your prospecting. Now let's try it this way. What do you do for a living? Well, Bob, I love my job. I provide money and security for people's families when they need it most. Or maybe it's the approach. Well, Bob, I love my job. I make sure that families are able to maintain their lifestyle in the event that something unexpected should happen. Now the reason these answers are so much more powerful is they beg the question of how. Once that question has been asked, then it's easy to go into a brief overview of your services and how you may be able to help that person and their family. Now let's look at this a little more carefully. If you say, Well, Bob, I love my job. I make sure that families are able to maintain their lifestyle in the event that something unexpected should happen. Clearly, the next question is going to be, How do you do that? This is a great time for you to answer the question, How?, with a description of what you do. This is also a great time to learn a little bit more about the person that's asking you what you do. Odds are, that person might have a need for your services. Just remember, the key is recognizing that even by-chance opportunities have the potential for great prospecting if dealt with correctly. Before you do anything else, develop yourself a one-line description that answers the question, What do you do? By chance opportunities happen almost everywhere and can happen in the most unusual places. It's your job to recognize them and take advantage of their occurrence. Let's use another common example of a by chance opportunity, except this time we're going to deal with it in a proactive way. Almost everyone finds themselves from time to time at a barbecue party where they don't know but a few people. The next time you're in this situation, try this out. Look around and see if there are any parents in the group, particularly parents of newborns or young children. Ask your friend or the person who invited you to the party how his work is going for him. After he answers, respond by saying, wow, I tell you my job is also going great. I'm so busy with my customers I can barely keep up. His response is probably gonna be to ask you why you're so busy. This opens up a great scenario because you'll be able to demonstrate your services to your friend while at the same time be introduced to a new prospect. Here's how it works. After your friend asks you why you're so busy, simply tell him that most Americans are underinsured and need your services but have never been approached by an agent. Since there are so many clients that need your services and such few agents, you've become overwhelmingly busy. Next, let him know that you want to demonstrate this point. Ask him if he'll introduce you to the person with the child. Once you're introduced to that person, let that person know that you were just talking to your friend about how busy your work is and that you wanted to show your friend why. Ask the person with the child if now that they have a child and clearly that person has a need for insurance because of their child, They've been approached by an insurance agent. Odds are that person is going to respond with a no. You've now set yourself up with a potential prospect. This approach is non-intimidating and neither your friend nor the prospect is aware that you're prospecting. The barbecue is not the time to make the sale, but you've just made a great introduction. Once the party's over, ask your friend if you can have the person's phone number. Let them know that after talking to them, you really would feel bad if you didn't make your services available to them. Believe it or not, this technique was actually taken from a very successful agent that works predominantly in the referral market. This is a great reminder that any scenario that you find yourself in could potentially turn into a prospecting opportunity. Always be on the lookout for those by-chance opportunities because they can occur at any place, any time, and at any moment. Thank you for listening to Gaining Through Training. Tune in next time and God bless.